This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 570 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show, Ryan Parrott. Now, for those of you that listened to episode 80, you would have heard Ryan's story. Ryan was a Navy SEAL, and after transitioning out of the Navy, still had this burning desire to serve. So he first started Sons of the Flag, a nonprofit that helps burn injured first responders, military, and civilians. Then, after seeing the mental health crisis in the civilian community and his own, he started the Bird's Eye View Project. Well, just like myself and the reason I started this podcast, Ryan saw that there was a lack of information in one centralized location when it came to physical and mental longevity in our professions. So he began what's known now as the Human Performance Project. He has assembled some incredible minds, some incredible tactical athletes, from Navy SEALs to Delta, to plastic surgeons, to nutritionists, strength and conditioning coaches, and more. And the goal of this is to create a book that will do a multitude of things. Prepare young men and women for entry into our professions, foster longevity while we are serving, and then help us reboot, help us put back the pieces after we transition out. The pinnacle of this whole project is going to be known as 7X, where Ryan and several other high-level tactical athletes are going to circumnavigate the globe in seven days and in each continent skydive, swim, and run 
in tribute of the naval community that Ryan once served in. After all of this, they're going to collate the data, they're going to make the book, and an incredible docu-series will follow as well. So I cannot urge you enough to listen to this, and there will be multiple other interviews all tied into this project. So follow Ryan at Birdman Actual. Follow Sons of the Flag. Follow the Bird's Eye View Project. The Behind the Shield podcast will be the official podcast that is going to document this entire journey So as you will hear Ryan say, there will be websites. There's going to be a way not only to follow them on their journey, but you can start participating in the same fitness journey, the same nutritional journey, learning about sleep and supplementation and all these other things as they start leading you through. So follow those sites. Look for the website that's going to be stood up very, very soon and look for each of the extra episodes that I'll be putting in this series. So this is number one. Next one will be EJ Catterson, which will be coming out next month and so on and so on. So I am so excited. I get to go along with them around the globe and to witness this and do interviews as we go along. And then, as I said, be part of the documentary at the end. But this is going to result in a tool that every single one of you can use, whether it's in the tactical space, whether it's in the first responder space or the civilian space, a guide to make the best of both your physical and mental health. So without further ado, I welcome back my good friend, Ryan Parrott. Enjoy. Well, Ryan, I want to say welcome back to the Behind the Shield podcast. I am so excited to let people know about this epic adventure that you have initiated. I just get to kind of tag along um, that we will do in a year from now. So welcome back. And uh, where are we finding you as we speak today? Yeah, it's great to be back. You know, it's one of these things I tell my friends that you know, being on your podcast is one of the most interesting ones. It is actually the most interesting one I've done uh, because, you know, there's a lot of time where you go, you're asked to go on one and they have some kernel knowledge of you and they ask just the, the typical bullet points you can Google, but they don't really dig into it. And so when you started asking questions, the first one was like, oh man, he's done his research. So like, if he's going to steal all my thunder, then what am I going to say? <laughs> There's that, there's that point. And then two, it's just, uh, the process here with being able to discuss through this podcast today on what we're attempting is awesome because you giving us the opportunity to truly utilize your podcast and your viewers, um, throughout the entirety of our project is, you know, we're so grateful for it. I know there's a lot of people who look for, um, specific subjects that they want just, uh, gain viewership, but you're trying to tell a real story here. And I think that's what you're doing is you're sharing everybody's story, but you're really telling our story for us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, hopefully I don't get pulled off Spotify between now and when we put it out. (laughs) (laughs) Where am I currently? I'm in my home office. We uh, had a nice little Sunday. I've taken down the 10 foot Christmas tree. Yep. It's uh, January 20 or January 30th (laughs) right now. And that's what we're doing, taking this uh, monster tree down. So it's been a fun day in Dallas. Dallas, Texas. Beautiful. So for everyone listening, we did have that great conversation. You really told your story in detail in episode 80. So for everyone that hasn't heard that, firstly, if you've got time, I recommend going back and listen to that first. That being said, let's do a recap of the backstory 
And I'd love to kind of lead into the creation of the Bird's Eye View Project and the uh, Sons of the Flag. Certainly. Yeah, so recapping a little bit about myself. So I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, one of those cats, I can actually say I grew up in Detroit. I um, was born and raised in Detroit um, until we moved to the suburbs, which most people do. So I spent my entire youth life up to 18, 19 years old in uh, Michigan. And it's always going to be home for me. I do live in Dallas now, but Michigan's a special place. You know, you get all four seasons. Anybody who comes from a seasonal, you know, climate, you know, that's the one thing you cannot replicate. Like I live in Dallas, there's two seasons, hot and hot as shit. So it's like I miss those color changes. I miss the different seasons. Um, however, uh, quickly for me, I, I I was always interested in sports. I played almost every sport except football, um, big into ice hockey in Michigan, and nothing else appealed to me. Uh, I didn't ever think I was going to go pro in anything. I didn't care about academics. I failed every subject in school at least once, and, you know, I wasn't necessarily a bad kid, but I just never, never could turn on the Jets. I never could figure out how to turn on the Jets. And so recently I've been telling a lot of people about this, so I think – one of the biggest things about me growing up is that because my parents got divorced when I was five, you know, and I'll say this, my parents did a hell of a job of co-parenting me, even though they were divorced. I moved from place to place. So I was moving with my dad and I'm moving with my mom and I'm moving with my mom and my grandparents and I'm moving with my dad and his, his father. And it was kind of this back and forth trying to figure out what our lives were going to be after the divorce. And it made it very difficult for me to engage in friendships because I wasn't there long enough. And because I wasn't there long enough or I wasn't talking to a lot of people, it made it very difficult for me to understand and learn communication skills. And so, you know, let's fast forward to 2022. You know, here I am. I am so blessed to have so many damn friends around the country, around the world for that matter, because I think I collect people. You know, it's one of those things that I yearned for as a child where I wanted friendships and I wanted to fit in and I tried so hard to fit in, but I just, I lack those social skills. So that's a, a big thing. It's the biggest thing for me is obviously family and friends. And, you know, I try to maintain relationships as much as possible. So that's a little in a nutshell. I grew up in Michigan, played ice hockey and was failing pretty much every subject in school. And it wasn't just for my motivational psychology teacher, junior high school. He was a Marine Vietnam and he looks like a Marine. And he came into the class one day and he said, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one thing better than the Marine Corps, and that's the U.S. Navy SEALs. And it was kind of eye-opening for me. All he talked about was his beloved Corps. We never heard anything else. Um, they didn't bring recruiters into school. So that was just my taste. Both my grandparents served in the military, one Navy, one Army, uh, during World War II. But to actually get some real, like, raw stories and some currency was just Mr. Barnes with the Marine Corps. So while failing or probably, I think I looked at the report, got a C at, at the time. Um, he told us about the SEALs and of course I was hooked. I was like, that is exactly what I want to do with my life. Stayed after class and Mr. Barnes won't be a Navy SEAL. And he started laughing in my face. He's like, dude, you're not even passing my class and it's an elective. Whatever. How are you going to make it through the toughest military training that the world has? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, that was the first taste I got of like, hey, you know, one thing you can do is you, when you say something, you keep your word because sure enough, he was, he knew that I was serious about what I asked. I wanted to be one. 
I wanted to learn more about it. And the next day I showed up to class and there was a Reader's Digest magazine sitting on his desk or on my desk that said, uh, the making of an American warrior. And it was like seven, eight pages. It was all about buds and, and how weak. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is just amazing. And that was it. You know, I wanted to do it, but that was it. I wasn't doing anything to do it. I was just still being somewhat of a loser and just kind of talking to talk. And of course, nobody knew what that was back then. Like if you went and told your friends or I told my mom, she's like, that's great, honey. What, what is that? You know, I talk to your friends like, guess what? I want to be a Navy SEAL. And they're like, what? He said, Navy, you want to go in the, why would you want to go in the Navy? <laughs> so it was funny um, back then in the early 2000s, you know. So, you know, fast forwarding a couple months into 9-11. You know, it was 2001 and everybody knew the day, the moment, where they were when the towers were struck and all those people were murdered. And everybody had, did something differently that moment. But that was for me to say, okay, I've been toying around with this idea. It's time to step up and do my part. And so I left high school right then and there to go join the Navy. Um, you re you're required to have at least a GED or a uh, diploma. So they wouldn't let me enlist and I had to finish my schooling. Um, but I was like, I'm gonna do this. And sure enough, when I was of age, I turned 18, I enlisted in a delayed entry program uh, in hopes of being a Navy SEAL. And uh, I finished off on the honor roll. <laughs> so it's funny how when you have uh, some meaning and purpose and you're working on something bigger than yourself, you will actually you know, get to that level of achievement. And so, yeah, that was it in a nutshell. I joined the Navy, I finished high school, and then I would embark on that journey to go to the United States Navy. And sure enough, uh, I went just after, yeah, what was it, just after uh, summer into the Navy, and I got to actually see what my grandfather went through in World War II because I don't think it's changed at all. It still smells old and it looks old, and it's just uh crazy, interesting setting. And you get to learn how to be a sailor and, you know, you understand, you get to understand a lot that you don't get as a, you know, a kid or something that your parents truly can't provide for you. It's just a unique scenario. And I think that my personal take is everybody in the United States should serve in the military for at least a year or two, it's like they do in Israel or whatever. It gives you a taste of what you fight for and what you get. And it also shows you the world to understand that you know, America is such an unbelievable country um, and, you know, it can be thrown away so quickly, but people, they go and do what they do. They, you know, they do it for us so that we can live our free lives here. So, you know, in boot camp, I struck for the Navy SEAL program and I wasn't sure how it was going to fare out because you know, I'd never proven anything to anybody nor myself. And it was interesting. You know, I, I tested, you do a physical test, you do an academic thing, you do you know, a discussion with the SEALs that are there. That's when I met my first Navy SEAL. And of course he looked like one too. He's about my height, but he was like really, really muscular, a lot bigger than I am and older, had a mustache and just, you know, he really looked like a team guy. So I was like, whoa, that's a Navy SEAL. And he was a senior chief. So he had, you know, incredible rank, you know, second highest enlisted rank in the Navy. So, you know, I tried my best because I wanted to prove that I had what it takes. Don't even know what it, you know, what I had. But I remember it was the last week of boot camp. Senior Chief Fitzhenry was his name, came into my uh, barracks and he was like, hey, Parrot, screamed my name and I ran over and stood at attention. He's like, still want to be a frogman? I'm like, ooh, more than ever, Senior Chief. And it was funny how he messed with me because he was, 
he kind of looked away from me for a second. And he said, well, we were looking at your test score and your academic, your physical stuff. And, you know, while you're doing great there, we just don't know if you're the quality, you know, the character that we're looking for. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, well, of course I'm not. Why would I ever have thought that I was going to get a shot to be a Navy SEAL? Like I was a loser a year before. Um, I wasn't doing anything to prove to anybody that I got something in the gas tank. Why would I be a candidate for you guys? So all this is running through my head and my, of course, my heart's pounding like crazy, starting to feel like all instant depression and like all these different feelings are attacking me at once. And then he looked back at me and goes, I'm just messing with you, bro. Welcome to SEAL training. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) unbelievable. And, you know, it was very, very unique because, you know, we talk about senior chiefs, but Henry is first Navy SEAL I ever met. He was the, uh, when I had gotten or was awarded my trident, the first time I wore my dress uniform with my trident was to his funeral. And so it's, you gotta, you always got, you'll never forget that stuff when you serve in the military. That's why when you ask your grandparents who in World War II, Korea, whatever, you ask any military person about their career, they will tell you names and they will tell you ranks and they will never forget that stuff. Because those little things are so important. Like Senior Chief Fitz Henry was the first team guy I ever met. He was the first funeral I ever went to in my uniform. And so, you know, we try to continue to honor. It's so important because those stories right there make us uh, what we are. And they're not making you exactly who you are, but they certainly make you what you are. Like those guys had a hand in making me a Navy SEAL. Um, and so just I always remember him and I'll always honor him. And so, yeah, I uh, got my chance. You know, back then you had to go through A school first. So, you know, everybody in the military has to have a job or a rate. And so in the Navy, you have to have rates. I chose aviation ordinance, which is taking bombs and putting them on the bottom of fighter jets and letting the pilots go off and have the fun with them. So I chose that position or that job because it was the shortest school to get to SEAL training if, I, in fact, I would have been selected. It was four weeks in Pensacola, Florida. Um, had a great time out there. Got to play with bombs, all of them inert, which basically means they're fake. Um, but got to learn a little bit about the Navy and what they're going to do after that. I think they go to a finishing school, like a C school, and then they go to the fleet where they'll go on a carrier and they'll actually do that job. Um, and then I was going to go from a school to buds. And so you still got to do the same thing. You still test, um, you got to keep current. And after that, then you show up to buds and, I like sharing this story specifically about SEAL training um, because it was a very unique one for me. Uh, Everybody wants to know about Hell Week. Everybody knows a little bit now about Hell Week, but you can't really know about it unless you go through it. Um, It's it's miserable, but it's also a real, it's a really deep look into yourself. It's like, what are you made of? Uh, What are you willing to persevere? Or what are you willing to put on the line? And then the outcome of Hell Week, it's not so much graduating Hell Week or just finishing Hell Week, but what happens after Hell Week is uh, truly what shows you your why in, in what we do and what we serve. And so, you know, I show up, uh, it was Wednesday night of Hell Week uh, for the two classes before me. I was slated to do class two, four, five. That was my class to start. And when I showed up, it was Wednesday night of their Hell Week. Uh, and so, you know, you're cruising over the, the uh, Coronado Bridge, you're in a Govey van, a couple of us showed up, and it's at night, so we finally get onto San Diego, or onto Coronado Island, and we cruise over to the command, we show up to Bud's, or 
basic underwater demolition seal training and you're right in front of the quarter deck. It's dark. You see the quarter deck, you walk through, check in, and then they walk you out into the grinder. It's like that quick. There's not like knights that are standing at attention with shields and all this elaborate stuff. It's no, you check in and then you walk right out of those doors and there's the grinder. The one thing that everybody's seen in pictures and you know, there's books and all that stuff. And so you're right there, boots on ground. Holy cow. And then you look to your right and you see all these helmets just lined up and it leads that line leads you up to a bell. Okay. Now it's dark. It's Wednesday night at Hell Week. We didn't even know it was Hell Week at the time. It's cold out. Okay. It's cold and we're in warmies. We're, we're dry. We're not wet. We're not even allowed to get touched by the instructors because they're not medically fit for duty yet. We have to go through a series of tests. So we're standing there. I'm cold. I'm shivering. We're just looking around. It's dark. And then all of a sudden you can smell those dudes before you can see them. And then you look and there's just a handful of guys left and they're running over to the grinder and they're getting ready to go. I don't know, get their asses handed to them in some way, shape or form. And you're just looking at these dudes run past you with these thousand yard stairs. You're like, my God. And it makes you second guess. Well, at least for me, it made me second guess. Like, what do I have? What, what am I, do I got what it takes? You know, I never once did during SEAL training did I feel like I was ever wanting to quit. But you do question your abilities at times because there's something that's always going to get everybody during training. And so, I mean, I started right out of the gate, which is terrible. Like, don't ever question yourself. Like, you just move forward. And if you believe in it, you go for it, you know, and the outcome will be the outcome. Um, but you got to try so anyway, I watched those guys, and of course, one of them at the end, I think he either threw me the finger or gave me this goofy-looking stare and this funny face, and I was like, wow, this guy's hilarious. I'm, this is awesome. I'm stoked. And you know, to be 19 years old and the year before not really doing anything in your life and to be at SEAL training now at 19, um, getting ready to try, was just a reward within itself. So apparently, somebody saw enough in me. Um, through the training to get to SEAL training. So I was like, well, I'm going to take it and run with that. So, you know, we classed up, started with class two, four, five. SEAL training is uh, six months long if you make it through straight up. And uh, for me, I got rolled in third phase of class two, four, five. So I ended up finishing with class two, four, six. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. You know, you go through a battery of schools after that. You know, you have SEAL qualification training after SEAL training. And then after that, you got cold weather, survival training, Kodiak, Alaska. You got static uh, static line jumping. So you're doing like uh, airborne school. We actually went to Benning for it, to the Army school. Now they do it all through Naval Special Warfare. And then uh, you show up to your SEAL team. And that's when you're, you know, your career starts day one when you're in BUDS. You have bad attitude or you don't work well with people. They do peer evals all the time between the students and instructors. So all that information travels to the SEAL teams and you're selected to go specifically to platoons. So they're going to know about you and your background. And so it's like, oh, okay, I have my chance to shine now. No, you have already started day one. So they already got that, that information on you. So hopefully you do your best starting day one. Uh, but then you show up and you have to, you're a new guy. And you don't know anything, and I wouldn't say that anybody likes you because you haven't proven to anybody that you've done anything. But what was very unique for me was that everybody had just returned. I went to SEAL Team 7. Everybody had just returned from war. They had legitimately just gotten back a couple weeks uh, from deployment. And so they were all combat veterans, which was very unique because, you know, we just kicked the war off. So 
it's not like I could just look at a person and say, okay, where, where's the theory? Like, where's the information on why they came to this conclusion or why are we doing training this way? No, none of that was there. It was purely like, Hey, these guys know what they're talking about. They're older than me. Um, so you basically shut up and listen for, you know, the full, you should do that for your career, but ultimately at least for your first, second platoon, you should keep it quiet and start learning the job. So that was cool for me to have all these war fighters around me that were giving me insight on what it was going to be like. And then you just soak it all up. You just soak it up. Every training mission, every training trip, everything you can learn, every school. Um, but nothing really gets you ready for war until you're actually there and you do it. And, you know, that was that was very unique for me. Um, you know, we could keep talking about this all day long. You know, I just I can say this, you know, I, I served eight years in the SEAL teams um, and I did three combat deployments to Iraq. Um, I deployed to the Philippines and Lebanon as well, and I was an instructor, and I thought that my career every day was such a unique day. Got blown up, and that sucked really bad, but I don't regret one day. I don't have a day that I could look at in the teams and say that it sucked or it wasn't worth it or whatever. Like I lived every moment to the fullest, and that was a conclusion that I pulled out of being a SEAL was that it teaches you to slow your chaos down. Like, hey, what do we want to pre-plan for? Oh, I got to plan for the future. I got to you know, make sure that this is squared away and that's squared away. And I got to think about you know, three steps ahead of everything. And this is going to give me more money or whatever in business. None of that applies. In the SEAL teams, you are focused on that evolution at hand. And that's when you can live in the moment truly be where you're at and enjoy where you're at and think about that. And you're really, you know, getting to a closer level of perfection. I, I can't, since I've gotten out, I've always had to, you know, do the planning in the future and now I'm a parent. So there's a lot of that pre-planning as well, but it makes it difficult to focus on the moment. So I always try to get back to that because it's such a, you know, just a wonderful feeling and, you know, life is too short as I've learned and all of us have learned now being in any type of job that supports uh, the safety and national security, you're going to lose friends, you're going to lose brothers, teammates. Um, and so life is too short. You know, you got to do your best every day, but you got to, you got to focus on where you're at here now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, again, we, we got into a lot more detail in uh, episode 80. We, we heard how you got the name Birdman. Um, I think John Walt was just talking to him yesterday. was asking if you were shit or sandwich. I think that was answered in that too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a teaser to go back and listen to 80. But the, I think it's worth definitely recalling um, first the uh, Sons of the Flag kind of Genesis story. And then, you know, the, the very personal story behind how you got into the mental health side as well with Bird's Eye View Project. Absolutely. Yeah. So getting out in 2010 in the military, I was actually slated to take a job. I was, you know, the planning was there. I had accepted a job. It was a great job. And um, so I said, you know what, this is the time for me. I'm ready to move on and do something else. And so I uprooted myself out of San Diego and moved to Dallas, Texas to take on this position. Never worked in business a day in my life. Certainly knew nothing about business, but the uh, CEO of the company was a friend and he was going to help guide me. So I moved to Dallas to find that the company was down 40% and they were not hiring, they were firing and things were just not good. And so this became a really, really strange position for me to be in because I had no job. I was not making any money and I didn't know anybody. 
So I felt completely isolated and alone. And I thought to myself, like, where did it go wrong? Where did I screw this up? And so it became dark. You know, I didn't have a mission bigger than myself. I ended up meeting a, a gentleman who was a former SEAL and he took me in and, you know, hired me to do some work at his job. And so I was kind of right back in the same environment, only it wasn't doing anything, you know, combat related. It was just, you know, risk mitigation, dealing with individuals on, you know, how to look at their lifestyles and change a few things. And, you know, it was nice because it was a nice transition to get into that position, but I didn't have any meaning and purpose. And again, didn't know anybody. So around that time, we had a meeting in a boardroom with a bunch of veterans and there was one specific veteran who really stood out of the crowd. He had severe burns across his body, his face. Uh, there was disfigurement there. And, you know, I'm not a guy who kind of tries to beat around the bush. I'm like, what in the world happened? Obviously a bomb, you know, so I needed to, I needed to ask him. So I was like, hey, man, what happened? And he said, yeah, we were in Afghanistan and we hit a roadside bomb and it was bad. It was really bad. And that immediately brought me back to the IED that I was in and how fortunate I was to walk away from the injury. Well, Sam, his name was Captain Sam Brown. He had to go to the hospital and he had to live there for quite some time. And that's how he finished his military career, even though his military career had just started. And so seeing the disfigurement, never seen anything like that before. I asked him point blank, what are they doing for you guys today? And he said, bro, look at me. I said, yeah, that's exactly why I asked the question. And he said, dude, this is as good as it gets right now. I've had three dozen surgeries. You know, that's it. Um, and you know how it is, you know, there's, there's no way that there's not an answer out there. Or at least that's what I think. That's how I think. I'm like, sure enough, like I'm an idiot. I don't consider myself a smart dude. I don't really hear anybody actually say that I'm a smart dude. You know, my friends are my friends because they'll beat my chest and make me feel good. But I don't know that they necessarily think I'm the smartest guy. But I'm like, there's got to be an answer. What is the United States of America? We brought Einstein here. We had all kinds of people, all kinds of brilliant people. Why don't we have answers here? So let's go figure it out because I thought the government had it under control. When you get blown up, when you get shot, when you get an injury, you get back home and then you start to recover. Okay, so what's going on with burns? I'm going to investigate that a little further. And so I went home that night, studied. True story. I sat in front of a computer all the way through the night with a bottle of Jack Daniels, sipping on it, trying to study. And all I could find was research information, stuff that was way over my pay grade, couldn't understand it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, if I'm able and willing to look for this stuff, that's, you know, I can see some of this stuff, but it makes no sense to me. So somebody who's struggling, who's burned severely, they don't have the time for this. And they certainly don't understand it. This is a problem. So I called him the next day, which would have been in 2011. And I said, hey, man, I don't know if you remember me from yesterday. We had a little chat about burns. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I couldn't find anything to give you because that's essentially what I wanted to do is give him some insight. Like, did you hear about this place or this clinical trial? Let's figure out how to get you into it and let's get you on your way. I said, I didn't find anything, man. Um, if I were to start something on your behalf, would you join me? And he said, bro, I'm in. And I was like, Cool. And that became Sons of the Flag. It was just to help Sam. Never intended it to go any further. Um, didn't know how to raise any money. Didn't know anything about charity work. But I was like, hey, this guy needs help. Let's go get it. And that's what we learned in the military. And so that journey would be a fast 
you know, right out of the gate journey. It wasn't like, oh, you know, it took us 10 years to finally help our first person. No, it was, we started it with just one veteran in mind. Immediately get reached out to on LinkedIn by a firefighter in DC who had been a career firefighter. All three of his sons were serving the military. And he's like, I love what you're doing. I think you should expand your horizons to first responders as well. And I would love to run DC for you. And I'm like, holy crap. I don't even know what we're doing in Texas. And here we are, got a chapter in DC that seems like they're motivated. Like they, they are going to do more than we are. And I was blown away, but I was like, okay, cool. We got something here. So we initially went from one person to covering down a veteran to first responders. And that was going to be our mission set uh, for the next six, seven years is focusing just on veteran active duty military and first responders. And through that process, the goal was always, how do we fix the patient? You know, how do we actually do that? We're not dealing with something that's unknown. We're dealing with something that's known. It's skin, it's tissue, it's an organ, it's burned. It needs to be refit or recalibrated. So let's go talk to these burn units and let's figure out both near and far what they're doing and how we can help them. So our goal over the next uh, 10 years would be to walk into burn units, talk you know, to their doctors, the nurses, their social workers, and meet some of the patients and their families to get an idea on where the gaps are so we could fulfill them. So we're not creating anything new. We're a gap filler. I think of us as a, a concierge service for burn care. So if you get burned in the United, if you're in the United States of America, you can go to sonsoftheflag.org and we're going to either give you the answer right away and connect you with the people to go through the program or we're going to figure it out. But we're going to we're going to team up with you, come alongside you and make sure that we get those answers to you. And so by being adopted by the fire service, it started to spread. So then we started to open up different chapters around the country to where we are 10 years into Sons of the Flag. We're in 38 states right now. Got over a thousand volunteers across the nation. I'd say 95% of them are firefighters, active duty right now. Some have joint military service, um, and it's just an incredible blessing because the fire service has really expanded Sons of the Flag to become what it is. And so now what we say Sons of the Flag is revolutionizing burn care for all Americans. We've been helping civilians, both pediatric and adult, um, since the beginning. But we were just not ready to promote it because, you know, what if we had, you know, 10,000 people come through our door? We weren't financially there. We weren't ready. And I don't know that you ever will be. And so we just said, you know, we're already doing this. Why don't we just say we're helping all? And so Sons of the Flag helps all burn patients nationwide. So if you've got a burn or you know somebody who's got a burn, uh, you are our family. Come to sonsoftheflag.org and we will take care of you. And um, it's been an, an unbelievably it's just been a remarkable thing. All I mean, we've had, we have four teammates on, on the team right now that actually have four firefighters that have Sons of the Flag tattoos. We've had several people meet their wife uh, to be during our cause and get married, now have kids. Um, just the little things outside of just the cause, that things like that that are really cool. To the thousands of patients that we've helped across the country from civilian to military and first responder. Um, and one thing that I'm pretty proud of is that we hire doctors to become burn surgeons. And that's a very important thing. Most of our burn surgeons are older, and there's not an interest for a lot of plastic surgeons to go into burn care because you can make a lot of money in private practice. In burn care, you're going to be trying to fix that patient for the rest of their life. You will be the doctor of that patient for the rest of your life, So, and you won't get paid as much. So why would I want to go in that environment? Because you've got to find a special person. And so we have really focused on finding those special doctors that are, they keep, 
messing around in the burn units, you know, in the residency and saying, hey, I would love to do this. And we give them a fellowship program so that they, they're they legitimately trained in burn care. And we're looking for burn reconstructive surgeons. So happy to report that we fund 50% of all new burn surgeons nationwide right now. And we will own that program in the next two to three years. We will, we will actually uh, fund all 100% of them. So that's a pretty cool thing to be adding that to the mix in America. And then since we're working with doctors and hiring doctors, we learn what they're doing. And then our patients become either part of those programs, those test subjects or whatnot. So they get unique, innovative things as well. So it'll never expand too. It'll always be Sons of the Flag. It's for Burns. It's always going to be that mission. We're going to stay niche so we can always make impact. So it's never going to expand. And we're doing this and that and that. No, we'll partner with other organizations, but we will always only truly stay in Burns. Well, speaking of amazing physicians that you've got working with you, EJ Catterson will be coming up probably in a couple of weeks after this goes out, a fellow firefighter EMT, but you know, unlike myself, then went on to be an incredible <laughs> plastic surgeon that does arm and face transplants. And meanwhile, I started a podcast. Um, <laughs> so a phenomenal human being, but is, you know, deeply embedded not only in Sons of the Flag, but he's also in the Human Performance Project with you as well. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about, you know, how you guys met before we progress into the Bird's Eye View Project. Certainly. So we've been working in you know, for the first couple years in Sons of Flag, I was trying to get into different hospitals. And of course, then it came up, hey, you need to meet with the burn surgeons at Harvard. And of course, we're like, yeah, of course. Like, for me, I barely made it through high school. If they're going to let me in, the, even in the doors of Harvard, I'm in. <laughs> the cafeteria. <laughs> exactly right. Like, can you guys clean something here? So we got the word that we're going to go uh, – we were going to go meet the docs out at Harvard and they had interest in us. It's like, well, this is fantastic. So it was interesting. There was three doctors. There was the uh, chief of plastic surgery, the number two, and then EJ, all three of them that ran the burn unit were sitting in their suits at this nice restaurant. It's like six o'clock at night. And then I show up and I'm dressed, you know, t-shirt, pants, you know, regular shorts or whatever and ball cap because I don't care. This is who I am. I'm just coming to learn what you're doing. I'm not trying to impress. Um, because there's nothing impressive, right? It's like, what are we doing? How can we work together? So I walk up and they're like, Hey, you're a bird man. I was like, yeah. They're like, wow, I thought you'd be a little bit older. I was like, yeah, you guys are pretty old. You guys sure you're allowed to still practice medicine. <laughs> so I sat down and we had some chow and it was interesting too. Cause you know, meeting the other two surgeons, they were serious about what they did, but um, there was not a connection there. It was just like, okay, I think that to me, I was, you know, how could I fund some of the research projects and that they really wanted to keep it business. Well, EJ, which you'll learn in the podcast with him is, um, he's unique. He's a scientist and a doctor by day. And he's truly Batman by night because he wants to be Batman. You see, he wants to get in the black garb and he wants to stand on top of buildings <laughs> and save people's lives. And he's just a good dude. But what I love about EJ is not only is he a scientific or a scientist and an MD, and a surgeon, but he can articulate it to anybody. So he can truly explain to you what he's doing, what he's trying to solve for. And of course, he was fascinated about my background. I was fascinated about his current background. And so we went to chow. After we ate, we went to another place to go hang out, have some coffee and just kind of talk. And it was just a fascinating, super humble and didn't even really figure out how incredible he was just during that time. All I knew was just his personality. I was, I was hooked. 
And so that was the deal. We started talking about how we could have a relationship together. And we started working with uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, which is the, the Harvard component um, for their burn care. And um, started funding projects that EJ was working on there. Um, and then also funded a fellow to work for EJ. And then, uh, you know, it's been a great, great relationship. And then EJ uh, moved to get an incredible opportunity to become the chief of plastic surgery at DuPont Hospital uh, for children. And when he took that, I was like, awesome, we're going to we're going to work on this with you. And so we actually started a program that he's not he's not happy with me about naming the program this because he says it's not about me. Um, but the new program for Sons of the Flag is called EJ's Kids. And so all our patients that are burned that are pediatric will go to EJ Caterson for help because that's what he focuses on as children, pediatrics. And uh, so if you go to sonsoftheflag.org, you'll see EJ's kids there. And um, if you have a child who needs anything related to burn care, you email us, call us, and we'll get you in touch with uh, EJ's kids in the program and we'll get you on your way. So that's how we met initially. And then just you know, it was more of a friendship than it was a business, you know, transactional relationship. And so we just kept in touch and, you know, I'd go to visit him, he'd come to visit me and, um, and then I pulled him into some of my more crazy harebrained ideas over time. And this one's definitely the doozy. So I've never heard EJ say no yet. So uh, we're lucky to have him. Yeah. He's an amazing man. Just again, a teaser for people to listen to that interview, the, the kind of, life event that caused him to go into plastic surgery is another very very powerful story but again we'll leave that for ej's episode so people can listen to that all right so then on to the mental health side obviously you know there's not one without the other i mean a lot of these burn injured patients you know are going to have a mental health element there's a lot of people out there that have never been burned in your profession in my profession that also struggle with some of their mental health issues so um talk to me about the genesis of the bird's eye view project and then you know the mental health story that really kind of spurred um 7x as well yes so obviously for anybody that is interested in running a charity you should definitely start too because it's twice as easy <laughs> and no intention to start the first one but here we are and then the the concept of bird's eye view project was how do we truly partner with other organizations again if you go back to our sons of the flag it's burns so what typically happens with a burn if you're severely disfigured injured you're going to have other issues you're going to have complexities if you're burned severely you might have an amputation that coincides with it you probably have some issues upstairs uh, between your ears, right? You're depressed. You don't know how to get going again. I mean, there's so many different things that stem from a burn because it attacks your entire body. So when you look at that, you're like, why do we have to solve for it? We focus at Sons of the Flag on reconstructive surgery. How do we make you functional again? If we can get you functional, we can connect you with any plastic surgeon in the country who can help you with the cosmetic side of the house. But the functionality is my focal point because if I can see you moving, if I get you moving again and show you that you can still do things that you didn't think you could do, well, that's going to make you a little happier while we're partnering with other organizations to get in their headspace because they're way better trained in that. Instead of us opening a department for mental health, why not partner with some of the ones that already exist that are great? That's how you win. So anybody who's listening who runs a charity is part of charity, you guys got to partner with other organizations. It's the only way to win the name of the game here. If you think you're going to solve everything on your own, you are fucking wrong. So that's my, my F word for the day. 
So anyway, starting this charity bird's eye view project, there was twofold. One, I do extreme sports and a lot of my friends do extreme sports. And I was like, well, how can we utilize that? Because I love watching stuff on TV and extreme sports seem to be viral. You know, people want to see people get messed up. They get screwed up. <laughs> they break themselves doing this stuff and they're just gnarly. And so I love watching this stuff. So if it goes viral, in fact, then why couldn't we show this debut doing epic extreme sports stuff, but for a cause or for causes? And so the initial you know, idea for us was let's create a stunt that is so gnarly that you have to watch it. You have to tune into it because you just don't even know what's going to happen, but you think you do. And then right when you're watching this stuff, you get hooked into this is what it's for. This is who we're supporting. This is who you've supported to tune in. We're helping the greater good. This is not about us. We're going to perform this, but we really want to showcase who these amazing people are that are championing the people coming back that are wounded and returning home. So we created this crazy idea called the Miracle Jump, which we fully intend to still do. And we're going to go execute on it on live TV and make everybody give everybody a quick say in our uh, make a quick ask. Five bucks, make a quick $5 donation to this cause. It's going to support these causes right here. And that way we can take the million dollar and under vetted charity and bump them up to the next level to see what they could truly do. And so that was the idea. Unfortunately, we didn't come up, we couldn't come up with the full funding to actually uh, execute on the project. So we had to shelf it for a while. And that was really hard. But ultimately what stemmed off of Bird's Eye View Project is that we got to do smaller events and all our events were experiential. So we do things called bomb squad and bombshells, which is we take individuals. There'll typically be a team captain that says, I want to go skydiving. So say, let's do a party around it. So they'll invite five, 10 of their friends and they have a goal to raise. So they raise $10,000. And once they raise the 10,000, they're part of the team. They get the custom jumpsuit. Uh, they get a really cool video package. And I'm not just talking a skydive video. I'm talking, we do interviews on them. We make it into a really nice 10 to 15, 20 minute you know, movie that them and their friends could share for life together. And then they're part of Alpha Squadron, Bravo Squadron, whatnot. And then they make their Jeep, their leap of uh, faith for, for greater good. And so all that money goes into Bird's Eye View Project and we're a pass-through. And so while we're doing an experiential event for these donors and patrons, at the end of the day, the money gets shifted out to the causes that we've support. And how do we choose our charities? Simple. Number one, we don't like messing around with big charities. They know how to generate money. They know how to do what they are doing. Um, so for us, our focal point is we know on a smaller level, the smaller organizations that are crushing it. And so we'll take them in. We let them submit a package to us at the beginning of every year. And then we put it out to suit and committees. So once they pass the sniff test on their 990s, their financials, to say, okay, these, these people are doing exactly what they say they're doing with the money. And then we shift them out to two committees that are unrelated to our charity. One is a military um, community, uh, committee and one is a first responder committee. And then we'll make sure that the actual mission that they have is, in fact, effective for those people. I can't answer whether something doing with the first responders is effective to you guys uh, because I'm not first responder. So let's get people who have no ties to Bird's Eye View Project and let's let them vet the causes. And so it takes usually about two months for the process. And then once they, once we select the charities, um, then they're approved for us for a year because of COVID last year and, and moving into this year, our charities that were beneficiaries last year are also this year. 
because um, we really want to help them out. But we open up submissions in December, um, January. We typically select who our new beneficiaries are going to be. Some are returning just because they are truly doing God's work. And some of them start to grow, and we're like, cool, watching them just grow right outside of us and you know, become even bigger than us. And we're not huge by any means. We're small. But to see them just blow us out of the water is a, a huge, exciting thing, just to have been a small little piece of their story. Um, and so it's extreme sports for extreme needs. We do experiential events um, to share the stories of the charities that we support and help elevate them through their marketing and also give them donations to continue their missions. And that's one thing that I think charities miss a lot out, miss out on a lot is they don't have a marketing arm. They don't have a marketing budget. So that's essentially what Bird's Eye View has become is to try to help them market their events. When they have an ask for a specific patient or if they have a need, we're going to put that word out to all our database uh, to ensure that they're getting the word out and then try to make all these organizations organically work together uh, for the greater good so that there is sharing, patient sharing, things like that. So that's Bird's Eye View in a nutshell. And we are, you know, just reformulated a board of directors this year and we're turning on the gas and we're going to really, really make this organization a special one this year. And so each one is independently run of their own. Um, they're of their, their own 501c3s. Uh, they have their own leadership, each one of them. So it's nice to be a part of each one of them and not necessarily, I don't have to run any of them um, because I've tried and thought I did a pretty good job, but now we have, you know, somebody very special running the organization for Sons of the Flag and our chairman of our board of directors is running Bird's Eye View products. So I get on the creative side to help them grow and expand and think about, you know, things, consider things, but I'm not running them day to day. So, you know, if you have any problems though, please send it my way and I'll definitely, uh, <laughs> I will handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we said, there was the mental health component. So when we had our meeting where you introduced all the team together, obviously we were told a very powerful story. It was kind of one of the real kind of nucleus of this this whole project that you're about to embark on. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that story and then we'll lead into the performance project itself. Certainly. So, you know, if you have either served in any kind of military or first responder unit or you've had trauma in your life, um, over time it compounds on you. And if you have it, if you do it constantly, then it's certainly going to compound on you. And what do we, what do we know what to do? They don't teach us to just compartmentalize and put it in the back and forget about it. I think we just naturally do that as, you know, servants, you see something horrible, you deal with it in your own way, but you basically put it in a box and you lock it away. And I think the thing that separates, you know, the special operations from others is that because it's such a high tempo of that back to back, you just learn how to lock it in a box and put it away. And as long as you're busy, you don't focus on it. You don't think about it. But when you start to get into the place where you dial it down a little bit or you get those lulls, uh, that's when it really starts to show itself again. And there's no training on how to deal with it. There was no training in the beginning of the wars on how to deal with this stuff. Like seeing horrible trauma as a first responder, these terrible accidents that, that you guys run up on, to seeing such the trauma of war and what it leaves behind in third world countries, if they're not bad enough already, it's just, um, and then you come back to America and you see somebody who's just completely ungrateful, you know, or some, you know, for some silly reason, oh, I got a parking ticket today. My God in heaven, like that is the worst thing in the world, right? So 
you know, it just starts to break you down a little bit. So I think each one of us go through this path. Each one of us have a taste. I've never met, you know, a warrior that didn't struggle with something at some point in time. Um, but I think today's day, we're starting to get a little more vocal about it, a little more verbal and really interested in more of the learning side of the house. How can I really reboot myself and get myself back to, you know, homeostasis? And so I had went through brain treatment facilities before I had blown up in 2005, had a TBI, you know, started to act a little aggressive, started to change my morale, wasn't happy anymore. I was just always angry. And so I went through a couple of these just to find out how I could be my best self. And over time, I started to get a little bit better. And then I started to see a lot more people that were really focusing on the peer support side of the house, the mental health side of the house. And I was like, wow, this is really getting after it. And then you start hearing that statistic. You know, I keep saying 22 people, 22 veterans a day are killing themselves. The suicide numbers, whatever it is. And you hear it and you can't even comprehend it because up to that point, like, I don't know anybody who killed themselves. It's just purely like, you know, killed in war, killed in, in training, killed in an accident, but suicide just didn't an effect, had an effect around me. I'd never seen it before. So, and then, you know, you started to hear every now and then you start to get this taste of somebody getting closer to you that had taken their life. And then all of a sudden you hear somebody in the team that you'd served with that took their life. And then it started to become a reality. And it wasn't until January 2nd, 2019 that I finally was like, I'm fucking fed up with it. Uh, my sniper partner had succumbed to his, his mental injuries from war, 20 years in the service, and took his life. And I got the call, and like everybody else, you just don't know how to – you're numb already because we had been through – so many deaths in the SEAL teams and in the military and then working with Sons of Flag, you know, you hear you lose people here and there and you become numb to this stuff. But that one just like recharged my energy into feeling everything. I was like, oh, my God. And I was just heartbroken. But the one thing I said to myself right when I got this word is that I wasn't going to be that same guy I always am like all of us are where we just memorialize that person on the day that they took their life. We memorialize them during holidays and then we raise some money for the family during their initial burst and that's it. What am I doing about it? That's something that I always get after is what are you actually doing about it? I'm tired of being that guy. Sons of the Flag is at a place now where it is turning and burning. We are very blessed. And I'm going to pray that this organization outlives me and outlives all of us. But it was my time to do something on this front and to honor my teammate. His name is David Metcalf. And so I said, all right, what can I do about this? And hear me when I say that my new project, my goal is – I don't believe that I am anywhere near going to be able to fix nor solve mental health or suicide prevention or anything. I'm not. I'm trying to do my part to add to what everybody else is doing because I don't want to just be there memorializing anymore. I want to be actively doing something. So I thought about it and I was like, for my own edification, what are we missing here? And I started to think about all the brain treatment stuff that I've been through. I started to think about what's out there, started Googling some different mental health facilities. And I'm thinking about what are we missing? Well, what about the physicality? What about physiology? I don't hear a whole lot about that. 
there's a lot of people that are talking different podcasts and different, you know, supplement companies and all that stuff are like, this is the new biohack. This is the new health. This is the new schedule, the structure. This is how you're supposed to do this. But it's just so crowded. If I were a young kid right now trying to become a SEAL and I wanted to get into a perfect training regimen and get healthy and eat clean and understand meditation, I don't know where to go. It's just so jammed up. It's like a giant New York traffic jam. But I thought about it. I was like, you know, I've never, ever learned how to correctly work out. I've never learned about correct diet. I've never learned about um, supplementation, sleep. I haven't learned about anything. Yet I'm in a, a special operations team, some of the elites in the military, and I haven't learned any of this crap. So I think about day one of my training when I go to SEAL training, and all it is is just a, a physical breakdown. And it has to be hard. It has to be hard because you got to weed out those people that truly don't want to be there because you know that the ones that you're going to be left with at the end of the day are the ones that are going to answer those calls and go after those aggressive targets and kill bad guys. But it's breaking you the entire time. SEAL training is not healthy. You don't eat good meals. You don't get any sleep. You're around the clock breaking your body down, and there's no reboot phase to it. After SEAL training, you go to SQT, and you're doing – a lighter load. You're not getting beaten anymore. I and mean, I say beaten, I mean you're beating yourself simply put. They're just telling you to run down the street, but you're the one doing it. But you're just physically not enduring that physicality anymore. So now you get to hit the weight room. Well, I had no proper training and weight workouts, none of that. So I'm just hitting the weight room and I'm trying to hurt myself and trying to be hard and big, you know, which I was never either. And then you show up to your team and then you find little pockets to work out when you can. But again, no training in human performance. I don't know how to correctly work out. I certainly don't know how to eat. I'm going to eat fast because I got to do my job as a new guy. So I got to be in and out. I'm not meal prepping. I don't know what kind of supplementation. All of a sudden you hear what everybody else is doing. So you follow suit and you start taking the supplementation. Realize why I got all kinds of acne on my back. And, you know, you look at the back of the label and you have no clue what 90% of it even means. And do you look into it all to understand what it is. Now you're putting fillers and garbage into your system because it's a fad. You know, like who in the hell loves putting that energy supplement into your system and then it gives you a charge and it makes your skin itch the entire time you're working out. That's awesome. That's fun. That's the way it should be, right? Or you can just go work out and do the right thing. So not learning this and then you think about that compounding effect of doing that day in and day out for 20 years. It's wash, rinse, and repeat. There's no reboot phase. So when you get out after 20 years being an operator, and we've been in war 20 years, or you've been a first responder, and I can tell you that they're not doing it, I know for a fact that people that I've talked to all around the country in different houses, firehouses, different whatever, some of them have stomachs, some of them have guts. I don't know how some of them are even firefighters because they're truly unhealthy. It's across the board. You are paid to do your job. You show up and do it. And as long as you can move to and from that fire or whatever it may be and get the job done, then you're good to go. So we're not putting any time and effort into it, the longevity and the health of these careers. You know, firefighters are more apt to get cancer because of the carcinogens and shit that you get on your skin, yet we can't take care of them by showing them better eating habits and showing them how to correctly work out. And I know there's people trying to make headway on it, but when you think about the full level of uh, the physicality and the, the, the physiology of somebody and why are they not operating 100%, you 
this is my thought on it, is if we started to pay more attention to the human body as a whole and the system and how it's perfect and we damage it over time, how could we refix it by doing the correct things, retraining the brain to understand how to sleep and getting your sleep because it's so important. And then how do you diet correctly and how do you supplement correctly and how do you work out correctly so you don't injure yourself? There's a lot of people that love CrossFit and that's cool if they want to do it. They're in the gym, they're getting after that's great. I don't believe in powerlifting for time. I know a lot of people don't. It creates injury. You make bad decisions when you're doing that speed and weight. But you know what? That's for them and that's cool. But is it right? So I look at all these scenarios and I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't have $100 million to go figure out putting a brain lab together and treating people and trying to come up with these outcomes. However, could I bring some people together who are combat you know, veterans who've had trauma, some first responders? and some civilians, and could I test their physiology and put together outcomes research to ensure that we are actually doing everything scientific and data-backed so we could give a manual to two different groups, and its manual is going to be open for everybody. But the two things that I want to solve for here is how do we actually turn on the ignition? This would be somebody who's young. Anybody who's young who's getting into sports or starting their life, you know, high school, middle school, really getting into sports, high school, starting their life, going to college, who need to understand these principles. Is it smart to go out every night and drink beer with your friends? No, it's probably pretty stupid, but we all do it. What are you, what are you giving up here? And when is it going to come to a point when you're going to feel the effects where you need to recharge? Or could you learn it right out of the gate and say, you know what, I'm going to operate a little differently. Sure. Every now and then I'm going to go out and have a few drinks with my buddies and I'm young and make silly decisions, but for the most part, I'm going to be smarter about this stuff. So we're going to solve for how do you turn on the ignition? How do you give a simplified manual on the full effect of how to take care of yourself, the longevity of your health? And then the other side to it is how do we fix and reboot the body when it's been broken? And that speaks to anybody who's had trauma, whether it be physical or mental trauma, how do we reboot the body? Again, I'm not a brain neurosurgeon, and I'm not even anything in the sports world, but I know that I've operated at a high level. I know I'm stubborn enough to try to do things that most people won't do, but how do I fix myself? And in finding out how to fix myself and being able to do it, there's a, there's a way for everybody to do it. And so that's why EJ Caterson was the first choice because he's a scientist. He nerds out on this stuff. I love that because I nerd out on this stuff. And how do we give it, how do we take all this information of the trials over the next year that we're going to test, doing baseline testing and finger pricking and physiology checks and sweat testing and looking at, you know, how do we deal with adrenal fatigue and how do we reboot, you know, all the different systems within our body and all these different metrics. How do we break down lactic acid? I mean, all these different things that are there. Um, how do we compile that into a simplified manual? Because I remember military have manuals. They're really easy to read and we study them. Same thing with first responders. They have manuals as well. Civilians could learn manuals. It's pretty simple. They're actually very efficient, easy. So why not give a manual that is available for everybody that's scientific and data back so people can actually take it and run with it. Here's the cheat sheet for you. Not saying you have to go do it. It's up to you. It's purely your choice. We want to help people that want to be helped. And we want to make it available so that if people are on the cusp, like, well, I don't want to, but I just need the fire to kick it off or whatever. Here you go. Let's go. Get after it. We are so unhealthy in America. 
You eat fast food every single day right around your corner. I cannot believe how easy it is to go pick up garbage food at every corner of your of your of your of our complete United States. Everything is on demand. You can have it in, in any time. But then if you go online and you see all the promoters promoting their supplements and that, how the hell do you know they're real? Do you know that they're real? Do they work? I've got friends that look at this stuff and they out companies and they tell people like this is what you should do. You should be looking for specific things, third-party fact-checking, third-party uh, testing. There should be things on the specific label. But still, I mean, is a college kid or a, 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 a um, high school kid, are they hearing that? Do they see that? Do they know that? Or are they taking what their other buddies on the football team are taking? So how do we do things better? And how do we make people pay attention to the things that are most important in our life, which is truly our life? So that's the focal point for this new project that the endeavor that I'm on is the human performance project, um, which is the first time that we've released it publicly. We just kicked this off. We've been working on it for about a year now, maybe just a little less than a year. So January 2022, it's official. It's called the human performance project. And ultimately what it's going to do is going to create a scientific data backed manual that can be available for anybody in the world to understand how to always get back to homeostasis and find your true north. And that's physically uh, for the physicality in your reboot. Um, we intend to do this through testing multiple subjects um, via special operations, uh, military, first responders, and um, athletes uh, to put together these protocols. E.J. Caterson and his team of medical professionals around the country are going to look at every single thing that this all the test subjects are doing, and we're going to test theories. We're going to truly test them in science and labs to see what outcomes we truly get and to see if this is going to if this is going to prove itself. And again, going back to this, this is, may not solve anything other than you will understand how to get healthy. You will understand how to stay healthy. And should you deviate from the manual, um, you can always get back to it. That's the key. It's right there. And it always, you know, the evolution of health is, is always going to you know, grow. So it's not like we're just going to do this and then come January next year, we're done. We're always going to add to this thing. We're always going to learn new things. And so there's always going to be updates going into it. So that's why I feel not only having a physical one, because people like to buy copies of stuff, but we'll have it electronic so that if, in fact, it needs to be updated, it can be updated in real time. So we will always be pushing this. And this will become its own standalone project that will live on as the Human Performance Project. We're going to continue to adopt new types of uh, science into it. And we're going to start bringing this outcomes research to your front door so that you could learn. And my hopes with this project is that it will prove itself enough to be able to create um, courses that we can implement not only in the United States military and in the first responder communities, but we could also, you know, bring to corporate America. You know, if you're healthy and you're happy and your company is insuring and, and funding you to go through these courses on how to take care of yourself, well, you've got longevity. So this works for everybody. It's not just one specific demographic. doesn't matter if you were a Navy SEAL or a Walgreens photo printer. I was both. This manual will work for me. It'll work for anybody. And so that's what we're going to solve for this next year, year and a half, is putting that manual together and releasing it in 2023 so that people have the chance to uh, – understand stuff and get going with it quickly. 
Beautiful. Well, I mean, there's such a need as well. I mean, that's one of the one of the cores of why I started this podcast. And there's no better time than two years into a pandemic where the only thing that wasn't discussed was how do we make men and women more resilient through fitness nutrition. So this is the perfect timing in a way. I mean, it's a horrific couple of years, but this is needed now more than ever. And as a first responder that transitioned out, that's still trying to figure out how to unfuck his brain. That's my one swear word for the interview. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I can attest, you know, I'm being in the strength conditioning and, and wellness world, and it's still hard to try and get everything back to where it should be. The brain fog is still there and some other things. So, you know, setting people up for success at the front door is something I talk about a lot. And then the transition out is something I talk about a lot. And obviously the maintenance in between. So I'm extremely excited. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to whatever programming there is for, you know, the, the support people. Obviously you have your core athletes, but, um, you know, you have Jeff Nichols is obviously going to be the one, the, one of the geniuses behind that. Um, you know, you've got an amazing supplement company working with you, Thorn, which is used by every, you know, major sports team, CrossFit, UFC, um, yet hardly anyone's ever heard of them. So again, bringing them out, you know, my, my fridge has got the Thorn that I use and then my bonus boy, my stepson, all the shit he bought at GNC. So, you know, I'm still working that even in my own family. So there's so much good to come out of this. Now, you mentioned a year from now. So talk to me about 7X because there is a kind of pinnacle to the journey. Obviously, that's that's the kind of beginning, not the end. But there is a kind of end point that you're training for. Yeah. So, I mean, in thinking about how do we actually test certain things. So if we were to go take 20, 30, 50, 100 test subjects um, who were not currently working out, um, and getting them back into the gym to get to a normal homeostasis, that's too, super easy to do. We can find that all day long. But how do we solve for the reboot phase? And then how do we market this thing? Because, you know, telling you this, for those who are listening right now, I mean, are you super inspired from what I just said to get up off your ass if you're not working out and go hit the gym right now because you want to get back there? Probably not. And are you going to watch it if I this podcast, for me, talking was 20 hours long? Would you listen to me talk about this? For 20 hours straight? Maybe not. So how do we inspire you to actually come check out what we got going on, truly to follow along and, and engage with this idea, this new project that has no name, name recognition right now. Nobody knows who the fuck I am. Well, how do we do that? So marketing. So we're going to do something really cool. And this really cool thing is also going to break us. And then when we get broken, this is how we reboot. This is how we start our training for the testing and uh, the phase of reboot. And so in January of 2023, um, I will be 40 years old, so it's going to be a fun little birthday. But ultimately, we've got a couple Army Special Operations, a couple world-class athletes, um, and myself. Um, and we were going to attempt the unthinkable by some of us will be base jumping, some of us will be skydiving. And once we do the jump, we land, and then we're going to run a full marathon and then we're going to plunge into the water, that body of water. And so basically it's mimicking sea, air, and land like seal. And we're going to do that back to back on all seven continents in seven days. And the thought behind that is who cares about, you know, name recognition. It's cool to watch, right? But nobody's going to sit there and watch us run every marathon. That is like the most boring thing in the world. So <laughs> 
We're going to make little vignettes and videos along the way that shows the progression. We're going to be testing in real time during this stuff. Um, and then we're going to go accomplish this. And, you know, we pray to God that each one of us on the team makes it through the whole scenario of each one of them. However, that's why we have multiple candidates so that one person is going to finish this. Two, we're going to get all this information to be able to utilize. But three, and most importantly, is after it, we can start our reboot uh, phase of training. Body's been shattered. It's got limited sleep. We're obviously going to be eating healthy and nutrition because that's the name of this product is to start to eat right. But we're not going to have nearly enough, I'm sure. But there's so many different environmentals from the weather temperature changes to the barometric pressure changes to, you know, the uh, no sleep circadian rhythms all screwed up, lactic acid just completely flown through your veins. I mean, your adrenal fatigue. I mean, there's so many different things that are going to happen along this that we're going to have to solve for after the fact. And so that reboot will really come from people who are in current time shattered. And that's where we're going to get our information. But you will be able to follow along on this journey, too. And so that's the exciting thing about it is we get to go check out the world and test this stuff. And we think that's a, a really unique thing for people to follow along with. Um, but ultimately, thinking about how we could actually get some of these hierarchy people to go along on this trip or, or this. Uh, that was my kind of vision is if I make it cool enough, even though this is not going to be cool, it's going to suck ass doing it. But if I could be, if it's cool enough and I could sell it that way, then I get some of these hierarchy people in these like world-class Ironman triathletes, whatever that are broken, these world-class operators, warriors that are broken to try and participate in something like this. And so that's why we built it so unique and gnarly. So we call this function or this phase of the training, it's called seven X. So seven continents, seven days, seven base jumps and skydives seven marathons, seven plunges in the water. And uh, it's going to be a journey in itself. So our team is just very unique. We're taking, I think, 28 people on the team around the world. And each one is going to have a specific function from dietitian to PT and rehab to the medical doctor uh, to ensure that we're, you know, healthy and at least as healthy as can be and don't die. Um, we've got subject matter experts and professional base jumpers, professional skydivers. We've got Ironmen to help us with pace and, and running and all that jazz. We've got, um, what else have we got? Doctors on the team for lactic acid breakdown. We've got different types of nutrition, uh, and supplementation experts that are coming in to fill our brains with what we think is going to be unique and good for it. We're going to of course be testing all that stuff too. We're not just going to bite off and say, no matter what, it's tested and approved. It's good to go. We're going to try it and we're going to test it. Now, hear me when I say we're not going to be able to test every supplement in the world to ensure that we're here to present you with just the right supplements. That's not the name of this game is your body itself as a whole should be able to do what it needs to do. You just need to get it steered in the right direction. So we're not about that kind of thing of like this is the one product that we're going to support and promote because we feel it's good. Everybody's body's a little different. Everybody reacts to things differently. So, um, but this team is quite unique. Um, and we've got, so the pillar, the four pillars of what we're bringing on the team is we got the, the physical side of the house that we're going to study for. We're going to study for the mental health side of the house. What does the physicality and the growth and physicality actually do for the mental, uh, endurance? And what does it do for the mental, um, happiness, the, the uh, emotional support as well? What are we doing for emotion? Emotion's a big uh, function of this stuff too. How do I feel? 
You know, it's not just what I'm thinking, but how do I actually feel? Am I actually having a visceral feeling to this or something reacting in a certain way? What is making me feel better? And then, and then spiritual spirituality, which we just don't talk enough about. And I'm not telling everybody you have to be a Christian in the United States of America or in the world saying, do you believe? And if you don't believe, well, let's have a chat about it. And if you don't know anything about it, let's talk about it. But for me personally, I'm a Christian. A lot of our team is Christian. And so we're going to bring two guys with us who have master's degree in seminary because we're going to push that stuff out. I think it's important. One of my, one of my dearest friends, but my mentor was, uh, he served alongside the Green Berets in Vietnam. Uh, he lost both of his legs uh, during one combat mission, received a silver star, Purple Heart, um, this dear friend of mine who you have had on the show, Alan Clark. And Alan Clark said to me, you will never truly find true north until you find God. Now he's talking Christian to Christian. And I was like, man, that is a powerful, powerful statement. And it just, it's, it, you can't argue with that. I couldn't argue with that. I'm like, 100%. Okay, cool. So I want to infuse that into our team. And we'll make it readily available like it is in the Bible for everybody in the world. So how about that? So that's the deal is we're trying to do this whole thing in a year and a half because we need to get information out to people. And that's going to be the Human Performance Project as a whole. It's going to continually feed you information throughout this journey so that you can understand where we're at, how we're testing. You can follow along on the journey with us, go on the journey with us, um, and hopefully root for us during those seven days because it's going to suck. Um, and then on the backside, we're going to produce the uh, final piece of the puzzle, which is that reboot phase, and enter it into a manual that everybody can scoop up, and uh, you can follow it in a mini, what I call a docu-series, so you can actually see how we came to these outcomes, um, what worked, what didn't. So that's my whole focal point in wanting to do my part for you know, what's happening with our first responders and our military and just people in general that are struggling and you don't feel that it's the right choice by taking their life. You know, I don't, I don't even pretend to know. I know, or I understand what each one of them are thinking, but we all spend time thinking about it. And it's like, okay, it's time for me to just do something here. So that is my attempt at something. And we have an incredible team formed up to produce this thing. So the journey is just be beginning and super excited to be releasing it here on the behind the show podcast and this is the one thing that's so exciting right is we have james who has offered his podcast up to us to be able to share every single person that is on their team on this team and their story and where we're at so you're going to be able to follow this journey straight through behind the shield podcast and you know it's just um it's an absolute blessing so where am i currently at in training i suck so I'm only doing walking right now. I'm, I'm walking with a 30-pound weight vest. I'm just trying to strengthen my ankles, my shins, you know, just trying to get my legs strong uh, for the pounding that I'm going to put to the ground on them. So that's going to be the first order of business, and we're putting together our protocols for training right now. And I will be releasing that stuff at my uh, social media handles. So it's at Birdman Actual on Instagram, Ryan Birdman Parrot. Um, on Facebook and you can check it out and follow this journey. I will start to release the information because that's what I'm going to use my Facebook and Instagram page for. Um, it's just putting out word. I don't, I don't have things to say every single day, but I will have things to do every single day with this product. So I'll be able to feed and regurgitate that information to you all. And you can, you know, follow along in this journey and maybe implement some of these things. Um, and I'll have a lot of, a lot of our team on, uh, to send information as well. So you can stay, 
you can become a part of this journey with us. It's not like we're going to do it and then feed you the information. We're going to let you go through the whole process with us. Um, it's important. And we'd love to hear if you are going through this process and you're doing some of the workouts that we're doing and you're doing some of the uh, supplementation, you're learning from this. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Like, how's it working for you? What uh, What's changed? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, that's important. I'd rather hear you say that, you know, we're on the wrong path here and we could try this than, you know, you tell me that somebody else took their life um, and then I find out that their physiology was all messed up and, you know, they weren't taking care of themselves at all. So those are, these are very important things. And, you know, I mean, back when I grew up, when I was younger, we had the presidential physical fitness award or something like that, where every year you would do like, you know, a physical fitness test in school. And I don't know if they're still doing that these days, but it was like, they were, they actually made you do things to understand that you needed to take care of yourself. My grandfather was a World War II vet, did push-ups every single day of his life till the day he died in his 90s. Why? You know, he was, he'd been on the military for 150 years already. Like, why is he still doing push-ups and sit-ups and that? Because it's health, keeping your heart going. So these are the things that we need to fall back on and get back to. And at the end of the day, it isn't about having a six pack and packs and big old biceps and triceps. It's about health. You know, if you want to go outside right now and run a four mile run at a good distance, just because you can, not because you have to work up to it because you're maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And that's where we need to get back to as a country. There you have. That's a, Gary, actually, now that I just, you know, outed us and what we're doing. <laughs> Come out of the closet. <laughs> I want to go throw up a little bit here because it's like happening. <laughs> yeah, shit's getting real. So, but going, so with the docuseries, what really I think is exciting for me is I had Nimsdai on the, on the podcast, the Sherpa that joined the SAS and one of the most insane climbers on the planet, if not the most insane. I mean that with the skills and his, his mindset, but it was a similar thing. You got to follow Nims through his journey, and obviously he was he was climbing. Then there was incredible documentary on Netflix, um, Fourteen Peaks. But the core of why he did that was to bring you know exposure to the fact that all these Nepalese Sherpas are helping these Westerners up the peaks, getting no recognition for it, and they're really the backbone of the organization. So now we have yours which is helping the exact people that are listening to this podcast now, whether you're first responder, military, medical profession, dispatch, corrections, whatever it is, you're serving. And in that process, there's a cost physically and mentally. So we're setting up the young you know, people that are entering this profession. We're trying to raise the bar on maintaining through our professions. And as you said, the most important thing, the transition out, the reboot, you know, a lot of us are broken. I'm sitting here with, you know, I had a, a very, very bad back injury. I, I had meniscus surgery on both knees. Um, you know, my brain is foggy as hell. I'm going to say fuck because you said it. So it's foggy as fuck. So that's my two. Um, you know, so it's so, so important. So, and I, I see this podcast as a community. I mean, I, I hate that word, um, followers on Instagram. They're not followers. They're part of this amazing community that interacts when I post. And, you know, it's the same with you. So for us to follow along and start interacting and trying some of the physical, trying some of the supplementation or nutritional choices, um, is so exciting. And as we get through all the different guests, EJ's already recorded. So that'll be number two. You know, we're, we're going to grow this, this kind of enlightenment. 
And then when you guys, you know, I get to come and watch and, and just purely talk while you murder yourselves, <laughs> um, you know, at the end of that, we're going to have this, this incredible um, documentation of your journey. And then at the end, this resource that is going to be available for everyone, whether they're entering, whether they're in or whether they transitioned out. So I am so, so excited, you know, and so honored that you asked me to be a part of this where, if people are listening to this, where are the best places for them? You know, you mentioned your Instagram handle. Where else can they start kind of locking in so they know they've got the finger on the pulse with this project? Yeah, so we're right now in the works of getting the website up and running, which will be somewhat to the effect of the Human Performance Project. We're working on it right now, and we will blast it out on my Facebook and Instagram um, and also LinkedIn. So you can go follow me right now. I no, it sounds like a push for me trying to get viewership. And you'll realize that if you follow me, up until this point, I rarely put shit out because I hate social media. It just it bothers me more than anything. I know it's a great way to get word out there, but for me, I'm just, I'm busy running a charity, and I have to do bigger things than just tell people that I ate a salad today or that there's a picture of my pizza or whatever it is. Um, so go to Birdman Actual on my Instagram, which is really what I'm on the most, and we'll be putting word out as to the website. And we are going to create a social media handle for this project that you will be able to connect with and follow along. Um, so that's that's that. I think best way right now is go to my uh, Facebook and Instagram account and be able to just say, hey, I'm here. I'm waiting for it. And then we'll get it to you here shortly. Um, you can also, in the meantime, go check out both Sons of the Flag and Bird's Eye View Project's uh, websites. It's sonsoftheflag.org and birdseyeviewproject.org. And you can also check out their social media handles as well. We have them on both Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so you can just follow along in these journeys. And It's important that you do that and learn exactly who they are because, you know, when you meet people and someday and you've got a friend someday down the line who's struggling with something – you might just be the conduit to connect them to that specific organization uh, to help them further their path. So it's important to know what's out there. I will admit when I got out of the service, I didn't know anything about charities, and I certainly couldn't help any of my friends by sending them to any treatment facilities because I was stupid and I didn't choose to want to learn that stuff. But now working in the nonprofit space for 10 years, I know a lot of them. And there's a great amount of organizations around. There, let me just say this. There is not there's so many charities and there's so much help out there for veteran and first responders. You shouldn't just be sitting in a room by yourself. Okay. It's enough. enough. There's plenty of help out there. You just got to go get it. When you got to step up and ask for it, man or woman up and ask for it because there's plenty of it out there. There is a charity for just about everything. I heard there was a charity for clothing dogs, service dogs, like clothing, the service dogs. Okay. So we're now to the point of a, <laughs> over amount of charities and now we're getting into interesting ones so you know if you if you ever need help you can always google and find something out there and if you can't send an email to birdseyeviewproject.org and we will find you an answer all right that is what our team is here for we will go find you an answer to connect with an organization that specifically helps people with your needs and uh yeah, this is going to be an interesting, interesting endeavor. I would definitely suggest, too, that if you have children that are, you know, we've said a couple F words on this one here, uh, but we're going to play this one right here. And this is going to be family friendly, this project, because we're trying to teach kids about being good and smart and doing the right thing. So 
have your kids come and follow these social media handles as well so that they can go on the journey and we can start kickstarting it so we don't have to wait 18 months for a manual to come out, but they can start learning and following along right now. They're in middle school, high school. They want to get in athletics. Um, they're going to see some incredible people on this, on this team that are pushing information out about what we're doing and they can follow with us. So let's get them started now. Let's not wait. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on. And, uh, again, I can't believe that we just said it out loud to everybody cause it's so real now, but that's what we're doing next year and a half and under the, into the future, the human performance project. And, uh, we're going to follow the journey all the way up to seven X and beyond. Mm-hmm.